Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by my colleague and collaborator, Stack Overflow developer, advocate, and evangelist, Matt Kiernander. Hey, Matt. Hello. Nice to be here. So, Matt, we're starting out with a link here. Silicon Valley shares of startup deals drop below 20% for the first time. And the premise of this story from the Wall Street Journal is that increasingly investors looking for the next big technology or software company are investing outside of Silicon Valley. What do you make of this, pray tell? Yeah, I think this was kind of predicated by the rise of remote work around how a lot of people were leaving really high cost of living areas like Silicon Valley to live in this intensely cost of living. They could save more money. They could do the same job remotely. It was all fine. I think this was kind of like a natural progression as those kind of epicenters started to, to crumble and be distributed. This was just a natural progression of that happening. And it's interesting to see, like, I'm not sure where that money is going, whether or not there are just other kind of like companies located in other geographic regions where that money is being pumped into. But it's a fairly significant change because California has been the center of a lot of these technologies and, and companies and right. startups for the, for the last 40, 50 years. And what that looks like going into the future is going to be quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think the rise of remote and hybrid work, certainly a big deal. And here in this article, they also say virtual remote deal making is now the norm. So not odd to get on a Zoom call with someone and pitch your company and be able to get a term sheet out of that. Whereas in the past, they would have wanted you to come sit down in their office and sort of take the measure and stuff like that. So yeah, a fascinating little tidbit. And I, and I also think they mentioned in here that a lot of the deals were still out West but had moved, as you pointed out, to sort of this halo around the former Silicon Valley area where people had just moved a little farther out to Austin or Tacoma or whatever it may be, you know, sort of within the orbit of Silicon Valley, but a bit further out where the cost of living was a bit lower and they could get a little more space. Speaking of changes in big tech, big layoffs continue at some of the larger companies. You know, I think one of the stranger things to me here is to think about the 10 or 20 year cycles we go through. So there was the dot-com boom and bust, which took us through the 90s to the beginning of the new millennium. And then there was kind of a lull, although really big, important companies like Google and Facebook were incubating and launching. And then there was the 2008 financial crisis collapse. And from 2010 to 2020, till the pandemic or whatever, we were in this era of money being very cheap. Interest rates were super low. It was easy to take on debt. And companies were very focused on growth, not profit. And the pendulum has swung back fiercely and quickly. And I have a bit of whiplash. I think you and I have been on podcasts talking six months ago about how all the power was with the employee and people were getting two or three job offers a day and feeling liberated to quit and, you know, take a new job if and when they wanted to. And very quickly, you know, it feels like things have shifted where people are worried about layoffs and questioning if we've reached an inflection point for quote unquote big tech. So what's your, how's your vibe on this? Take the temperature here. It's honestly a bit scary. Yeah, I'm personally quite frustrated with a lot of these layoffs because it, it seems like they're not due to companies 
losing money. It's due to growth targets not being hit. So they're still growing, right. just not at the pace that they were previously. So for, for me, it's a, it's a little bit frustrating to see so many people lose their jobs because of growth targets not being hit, essentially. I'm sure you know there's, there's other people. No, I, I totally feel you on that. It's like the story that we all tell ourselves about what is a healthy company changed quickly from a healthy company is one that is growing its user base and its X, Y, Z to a healthy company is one that, you know, is profitable or is cash flow positive and is not, you know, going to need an venture capital injection anytime soon. And as you point out, this is even stranger for very large companies that have a hundred billion dollars in the bank. Mm. But, you know, that such is the power, I think, of, of Wall Street and of the stock market and of the media to set expectations to a certain degree. On the other hand, I will say our own CEO has been doing the rounds, talking to folks in the press about how this is a great time to be at a startup that is hiring because mm. there's a ton of incredible talent coming on the market. So there is that side of it too. Yeah. And it's not like it's just one or two. It's There have been layoffs, severe layoffs, and thousands and thousands of extremely highly skilled tech workers who are now looking for their next role. And yeah. I'm a little bit concerned to be honest, I've seen some other things, Instagram tech influencers saying now is the best time to hire really good talent. And I'm like, yeah, that, that is true. But on the flip side, these people are coming from extremely large tech companies who have historically had extremely high total compensation packages right. in terms of their salaries and equities and everything else. And, you know, it's first world problems. But at the same point, <laughs> these people are also going from you know, extremely high total compensation. And now they're having to all fight it out for these other companies. And yeah. if they're going smaller companies as well, that's that's a significant financial hit they're going to have to bear. And if they haven't kind of kept on board with their lifestyle creep and, you know, mortgage, kids, private school, whatever else is going on, there's going to be some serious adjustments to lifestyles as well. Yeah, it is tough because if you got a job at, you know, a big tech company in Silicon Valley and you were making a certain salary that was commensurate with that whole milieu, and then all of a sudden you don't have it. Well, you know, you bought a house that was XYZ expensive because that's what it costs to live around there. And so you're carrying that mortgage and you send your kids to XYZ school because those are the schools in the area that are well thought of and where all your colleagues send their kids. And so it's not as simple as saying, we'll just go take a job at a startup because they're readily available, right? Like yeah. that may not uh, fit uh, your financial profile anymore. We have spoken about this before where even though it is quite doom and gloom, for some and, and for most. And, and unfortunately, that's going to be a really tough situation to crack. Uh, these situations can bring about some good in terms of people banding together, starting their own companies, building some really cool things that they otherwise wouldn't have been pushed to do if they hadn't. So I'm hoping there's a net positive out of all of this, but it's kind of hard to do that when people are uh, kind of struggling to find work and pay the bills at the moment. Right, exactly. All right. I want to talk about uh, something that we brought up on a recent episode. We can't avoid it. So let me put it out here. We are not here to comment on the rights or wrongs, the strategic value of Elon Musk's decision-making at Twitter. On the other hand, there was a Twitter post today from a fellow who has written for the Stack Overflow blog and has quite a pub popular substack with uh, software engineers. His name is Gurgly. He was an engineer at Uber and at Skype, and he writes now for this substack called Pragmatic Engineer. It's quite good. What's so striking to me is that there's a conversation happening out in the open, getting thousands of retweets that is just so deep in the weeds. Like it's the kind of weird, nerdy stuff 
that we talk about on this podcast, but that is not usually big news. Gurgley says, if you're a software engineer today, could, things could hardly get more interesting. Shutting down microservices in bulk is next up today at Twitter. That's what they're talking about doing. Now we know why the Git freeze was instituted a few hours earlier. He had a whole big thread about Git freeze, how it had gone read only. As said before, this is the kind of stuff we've not seen in public and at this scale. And he's responding to a, t- a tweet from Elon. Part of today will be turning off the microservices bloatware. Less than 20% of them are actually needed for Twitter to work. So a lot to unpack there. Again, not the place of this podcast to comment. We don't have, we're not going to take a stance on whether this is the right or wrong approach, but fascinating to think about because so many of the podcasts I've been on are about what is the value of microservices? What are the pros and cons? When you decide to go this route away, you know, from monolith to microservices, then you need observability, or maybe you need a service mesh, or maybe you need better DevOps. It has its drawbacks. It's one approach to architecture is interesting and powerful in some ways. It can have its downsides and others. That you would make a choice to turn off 80% of them on a few days' notice <laughs> is, I think it's fair to say, extreme. And we're going to see in public what the impact is. And I think lots of talented software engineers like Gurgler are going to weigh in. So it's going to be a very interesting discussion. And it's an interesting, it's a level of transparency around these kind of soft, big software architecture engineering decisions we don't usually get. We're not privy to, right? That stuff all happens many months in advance, and it's done through a whole release plan. Everyone yeah. knows the stakeholders. <laughs> there is right. so much meeting and administration that goes into something like this. And taking all the politics and the bad juju out of this, and you're looking at this purely from an engineering standpoint, this is a right. really, really interesting time and a unique opportunity to kind of see how these changes are implemented, the impact on these platforms. And it is rare that you have the opportunity to tweet the CEO of a company and potentially get that feature or that thing changed the next day when you wake <laughs> up. You know? Right. <laughs> you can't, it's bizarre. And, and the fact that Gurgly as well actually is doing kind of like a weekly reporting on the engineering changes since, you know, Elon's first day there. You know what? It's, it's interesting. And I'm going to be following along and seeing kind of how, how these impacts the platform, the user base. I don't think we're going to get this opportunity again for uh, for a wee while. Stop worrying about building and maintaining your own authentication. See how easy it is to drag, drop, and deploy everything from multi-factor authentication to passwordless. Start building today at stack.auth0.com. Make sure to use that link and you'll let them know the podcast sent you. I wonder also, as we discussed last week, you know, whether it will inspire others to, you know, to take a similar path. You know, it is part and parcel of what we talked about before. You know, software engineers were previously companies that were completely focused on growth. Now, all of a sudden, Twitter is very focused on the bottom line, you know, and that that change is happening. I guess, you know, the other kind of interesting thing to me is how in a world where software companies are among the most valuable, and software developers were among the most highly compensated. Usually when you know there is a cutback 
it's folks like you and me who are first to go. I mean, it's marketing, you know, like we're, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're the ones on the chopping block and right, rightfully yeah. so people pull back <laughs> on their marketing spend. You know, the Christmas ads aren't as much, maybe there won't be as many crypto exchanges, you know, purchasing stadiums to bear their names, but it does seem, yeah, like here there is an interesting sort of change in sentiment, at, uh, you know, like a feeling that, oh, well, maybe it's the software engineering side where there's some bloat, or maybe it's the software engineering side where we can cut and, you know, that will right-size the business. So that, I think, is very different than the approach, even at a tactical level or, you know, at the level of the pandemic layoffs and furloughs, you know, very different than we've seen in the last decade or so. So, yeah, raises a lot of interesting questions. For the listeners of this podcast, you know, as you do with Gurgly or when you tweeted Elon with a future request, you know, DM me and Matt, you know, tweeted us, send an email to podcast at Stack Overflow. Let us know what your questions are and what you're thinking or if you've been impacted and you want to discuss it because we would love to hear it. And I think part of the value of this show has been since the beginning that it's for it's meant for the community, a community of software engineers who come to Stack Overflow to get their work done or to learn. And we, you know, it's not just to listen to our us opine. Uh, we want to hear from you and we want to discuss what you want to hear. So I think especially at this time, I would love to, yeah, to get some feedback from the community. So if you're listening, be sure to shout us out or send us a message. Yeah, this this isn't Matt and Ben's narcissistic hour of power. This is this is something that, you know, <laughs> yeah. we, we are trying to provide some value in, in any way that we can. Yeah, uh, yeah. The whole Twitter thing is going to be really interesting to ride out and see whether or not, hypothetically, looking into the future, if all of these changes are made, cut down 50% of the engineers, everything else, whether or not people will look at that as a kind of precedent for, okay, so they did this and it worked. How can we lean up our own software development pipelines and cycles? If it does work, what that trickle down effect is is going to be? Are people going to start reevaluating how much engineering headcount they do have? Obviously, as an engineer, I don't want that to happen. I would like as many jobs as possible, but I think there are probably quite a few companies out there who have. Right. This happened with Jack Dorsey, I think, who was the the old CEO of Twitter, where he basically came forward in a statement recently to say that you know that the layoffs were partially on him because he overhired headcount and that was ultimately his responsibility. So whether or not we see, take a hard look at kind of the structure of engineering as a whole and whether or not right. it is actually bloated or it does need to be leaned down, we'll see. And yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's almost too much to talk about. It feels like it's a little bit overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, uh, We had a big election in the US. There's big news out of you know the land war in the Ukraine. And then last week, we didn't get a chance to talk about the podcast, but one of the biggest, most trusted names in crypto in the world, and especially in the US, Sam Bankman-Fried, and his exchange FTX exploded, declared bankruptcy. And so unfortunately, I think that will only collide with the ongoing layoffs to create a bit more chaos and uncertainty in the tech sphere for the moment. There's a lot of talk there, as there was after the Celsius meltdown about contagion. I, I want to talk about that one for a second, though, because... That was a company that didn't have a lot of engineers on staff, like for its size, didn't have a ton of, hadn't hired a ton of people. And I've seen people make the argument, and I think it's true, that these were not fundamentally technology issues. The, it was not an indictment of the way crypto works. The blockchain did not fail. The decentralized trust remained trustless. These were human issues of malfeasance that are very similar to what happened at you know other hedge funds or you know, Enrons or things of that nature. And so I guess, you know, important to draw a line there and just say, while this may have big 
sort of rolling implications for the world of crypto web through blockchain. And, you know, that obviously impacts technology. The argument could and maybe should be made that this isn't an indictment of the technology itself. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's it's tricky because I feel like I agree with you. Absolutely. It just kind of makes me sad that basically every time crypto hits the news and the by the time the mainstream public kind of figures out, oh, some bad person did a bad thing and it had these bad consequences and all these people lost money. It's a lot of the negativity that comes out of the crypto space that kind of will impact everyone's feelings and attitudes towards it. I cannot remember the last time there was a good heartwarming story about crypto <laughs> or Web3 helping someone. You know, right. it's just, it, it hasn't hasn't been there yet. To go back to your original question, no, I, I agree. It wasn't the technologies failing. It was people using it for nefarious purposes, which happens with any technology. People use JavaScript for ill. You know, it's like uh, you don't, you can't really shoot the messenger. Totally. I, don't, I don't think in, yeah. that, in that stage. All right, y'all. So yeah, I mean, quite a week. We'll have to check back in in real time on our next home team episode and see how things are going. Because it's, 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 it's all developing very quickly. And we are getting towards the end of the year. There'll be some holiday breaks. And we have a ton of great episodes also backed up from my trip to the next JS conference. So yeah. we will try to pump out as much material as we can before the end of the year and to follow along with you know sort of the breaking news and some of the experiments. But yeah, this podcast is not in real time. So by the time <laughs> it comes out, it could all be very different. So we'll see. Yeah. This is why I kind of appreciate the stuff that Gurgly is, is doing because this this we're going to have a very public documented stream of events as well mm-hmm. as real-time consequences of those actions right? at scale. This is not something we've, we've really had the opportunity to see before. All right, everybody. As always, thanks for listening. Like I said, crazy times out in the world of tech, especially for software developers. We do always want to hear from you. Let me see if I can find a person in the community to shout out, and then we will say our goodbyes and let you know where you can reach us. Okay. Awarded yesterday a lifeboat badge to Codecaster, who came on and helped save a question with a score of negative three or less. They gave it an answer. Codecaster did, and now it has an answer score of 20 or more, and the question has a score of three or more. What is E in floating point? Excellent. We have an answer for you. Appreciate it, Codecaster. I am Ben Popper. I am the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me at Ben Popper on Twitter. You can always email us questions or suggestions, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. And if you have a question, I got a a tweet uh, earlier today from Robert asking for an old episode where we talk about a founder who left tech to build furniture. It rings a bell. I will look it up, Robert, and I will send you a link. Also, I just want to add as well, if any listeners have a good reputable job board that might be a good place for laid off tech workers to have a look at things please email us at podcast at stack overflow and uh, we can do our best to try and help some of the folks that disadvantaged at this time of year yeah if you know a good place for folks to go to look for new opportunities share with us and we'll try to share it with the world uh, my name is matt kenanda i'm a developer advocate here at stack overflow you can find me online at matt kanda on youtube and twitter m-a-t-t-k-a-n-d-e-r and emails are to podcast at stack all right everybody thanks for listening and we will talk to you soon bye